0: Welcome back to the Future Focus Terminal podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Fairchild. Today, we're going to talk about shipping containers, arguably the lifeblood of global trade. After all, virtually everything we use in our daily lives has touched a shipping container at one or more points in time, maybe even from the time it started as a raw material like plastic resin, all the way to the finished products like your sneakers or your laptop. At one point in time, people outside of transportation didn't give containers much thought. I think that changed a bit with the pandemic when people were stuck at home, trying to get new desks and sofas and the supply chain congestion kept their orders trapped on the water in the containers. This is the first time my friends and family knew what I did for a living. Also having a bit more fun with it, people are getting more creative with the use of containers. You see them made into coffee shops, bars, and even houses. Con Global expert, Bill Fronsky leads our container sales and marketing team. And he is here with me to dig into all kinds of meaty topics, including the supply and demand, pricing considerations, and even watch outs when buying containers welcome bill will you tell our listeners about yourself and i even have one listener that wanted me to specifically ask you how you got started with conglobal so if you could start with that that would be great
1: yeah um absolutely so um i've been with conglobal for about six and a half years Uh, my previous life was in the golf industry where i managed country clubs and uh, golf courses primarily on the west coast but i worked for a a national uh, american golf corporation was my previous uh, management company so, uh, in the last six years with Conglobal, um, here in Corvallis, we opened our inside sales office, which is we've coined our customer engagement center. Um, we handle all of our inbound calls and leads uh, before we send them out to the field to handle that final mile delivery. Um, we also handle a lot of our marketing efforts here um, online, you know, cost per click. Uh, we work with Wendy, our communications director, on our websites. Um, We have a a lot of uh, additional oversight with operations in our sales team. And we basically just kind of a one-stop shop for support for our uh, national sales efforts.
0: Well, I think our listener is gonna think that I let you get off a little bit easy on talking about the background story, but I'm gonna let it slide. But for the benefit of the rest (laughs) of the listeners, how about if you give us an overview of the shipping container market?
1: Yeah, so the shipping container market right now is, um, it's been an interesting couple of years for everybody, right? Um, And the the container market has been in the same uh, mode as everything else, kind of in flux. You know, we had these big peaks and we've had these valleys and it's still kind of reeling and attempting to rebound from where it has been prior to the pandemic. Um, This big swing back and forth, like a yo-yo going up and down. And now a lot of that has to do with, you know the the online ordering and consumerism through COVID and through the pandemic, where you had Amazon orders and online ordering that takes two to three times as much product in order to supply that in your your click of the button and get it to you as fast as possible, um, and so that. That created a massive demand for the shipping containers in use, which means there's not as much left for disposal or what we do, which is sell the containers to for end of use, right? Mm-hmm. And so for uh, you know two and a half years or so, that's where we were. Uh, that's coming back again. We are seeing containers um, back in our depots. We're seeing containers back, um, you know, in less less in use uh, in China, all the way to Europe and through the whole system. So. Basically, we're just in this this back and forth trying to find what we can consider a a normalization of that market. Um, One of the things that we see as a positive is for the next couple of months as we head into what would, you know, we're in peak but heading out of peak, we're kind of seeing a normalized um, number of bookings for our steamship lines, which we would consider a positive on leveling out of those container, uh, the container availability.
0: Okay, so let's uh, dig into that just a little bit further you know, I've heard from some of our listeners, you know, on both sides of the spectrum, I guess. So you've heard from some of them about a shortage in containers. And then you've heard about others that during the pandemic, there was just this, you know, massive amounts of build that happened. And maybe there was people that even overbuilt. And so you've heard about others about the surplus. So can you walk us through that the shortage versus surplus and kind of what that looks like and what it means?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, to the layperson, you have to kind of figure out what a shortage and surplus mean to our industry and how does that affect them at the consumer level. Right. So a shortage of containers is relative to not enough containers where export is needed. Right, so primarily most of that comes out of China. So if there's not enough containers in China when those goods are needing to come to the US because they're stuck on vessels, they're stuck in terminals, they're stuck in distribution centers, they're stuck, through, stuck throughout the network of the intermodal world that we live in, um, that causes a problem for getting more product to us when we need it. Now the shortage did, did lead to a large amount of container build in 21 and 2022, and that was primarily to keep up with the flow of the product that was needed to come into the United States and Europe. So we overbuilt, as as a generality, the industry overbuilt um, containers that year because we needed them. So when it comes to the shortage, that is now kind of alleviated where we're not consuming as much product, right? We've gone back to our standard mode of spending. Which is experience-based, right? It's travel, it's events, it's concerts. Um, We're not just looking to spend all that um, all that money that was sent out on things, right? You mentioned couches and TVs and remodeling our homes because we're living in that space now, and we're you know we're really thinking about what that's going to be like for the next six to eight to twelve months. Um, Now we're out back out in the world, so our money is going to what we would typically say it, you know, previous to the pandemic, what we would typically see. So. When we look at that overbuild, the impact of that is going to be lessened by the fact that we also have vessels coming online in the next, you know, eight to 12 to 24 months, Mm -hmm. something like 5 million TEU is coming online over the next two years, and you need to have um, containers to fill those vessels. And so these containers that were built that were not meant for fleet, some of them are staying in fleet. Some of them have been off hired, which is where we would see them in the secondary market as sales boxes. And some of them are, you know, sitting waiting for that opportunity to be used, whether that's in China, Europe, or the United States. Um, Typically not in the US because, you know, we're not a huge export company or country. Um, Typically we're not a huge export. Country, but we do have our kind of basics that come out of the West Coast and the South. So um, that container fleet growth of you know more than fifteen percent over the last three years—that is, you know, that's kind of coming back to roost now, where we the steamship lines and leasing companies have too many containers that they don't need today. So now we're seeing the flip side of that, where they were all in use, and now that utilization has dropped, and we're trying to find solutions for all those containers.
0: Okay, So obviously, when you're trying to find solutions for the containers, then there's something that precedes that, which is that the owner of the container makes the decision to sell. So what drives someone to decide to sell a container?
1: Yeah, number one, first and foremost, the the top thing is their utilization. If they have high utilization, then they're not going to want to get rid of those containers, because every time they do a sailing, they're going to make money off of that container. So they want to keep it in use as long as possible. Um, we see life cycles of containers anywhere from seven to twenty five years. That's a big swing depending upon what the use is or what the expectation is for that box. So um, if it's in fleet for a very long time, right? So you have average age or value of that container uh, purchased in twenty you know two thousand and five, That box has depreciated over time. Um, The value of it on the books is less. They can sell it for a little bit more, especially during pandemic when the prices went up. Some people capitalized on that. Um, And then next would be kind of scheduled fleet renewal. right? What is their plan for their fleet over the course of the next 10, 15, 20 years? Uh, Obviously they're all going to have to make some decisions based on build of 21, 22, but we probably won't see those decisions for another couple of years. Um, while we wait for those things to come back the other way, mm-hmm. the other thing is, what are they going to get for it today on the market? Right, mm-hmm. what's that fair market value of that container? Um, high prices the last couple of years, we've seen those come back down again, but they didn't off hire as many, so the fair market value to them is is pretty good right now. They're they're feeling comfortable with that, um, and then there's. You know kind of a number of small things that happen, obviously, what's going on in the world. Um, we have the Ukraine going on right now. We have, like I said, that consumerism is down. There's all these things that are going to impact whether or not a fleet is ready to kind of roll over or be disposed of. Um, if there's a lot of containers in a specific market, then the value of those containers go down. It's Econ 101, right? Mm -hmm. You have supply and demand. And anybody that I hire here in the US, in our uh, customer engagement center, I I kind of bring that up. I just say, hey, look, you're gonna get a crash course in econ because we are macroeconomics and microeconomics and every single thing's gonna impact one thing. And I'm gonna tell you something that happened in China that's gonna help us in Los Angeles, but it's gonna hurt us in the Ohio Valley. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of that macro and micro look at different things. and you know, the the consumer's buying patterns kind of follow that as well. So demand for containers somewhat stays flat. Realistically, there's only so many throughout the, the US that are sold every year. What ends up happening and cycling around it is that supply line. So as a supply line goes up and down, it can feel like demand rises and falls based on the need. Um, but realistically, pricing fluctuates, availability fluctuate, fluctuates, and it's one of those things that it's really hard to put a pin on. And, and we, we spend a lot of time and energy trying to figure out exactly what, what's going to happen and when it's going to happen and, and why, so we can get, get ahead of it here.
0: Mm-hmm. So you anticipated some of the questions that I was planning to ask, which is really how <laughs> market um, drives pricing and what other factors go into it. So we kind of got in that econ 101 discussion, but are there yeah. certain things, I guess, that drive the underlying demand in certain markets then, that then would therefore feed into yeah. the pricing?
1: Yeah, so one of the things I didn't touch on is seasonality plays a big part of it. Um, you know, there's certain things, um, weather, weather plays a big part of it, right? Uh, in the northern half of the United States, um, time timing of when certain products are going to be shipped in or shipped out. You know, we talked about peak season. There's usually an influx of containers starting at about the end of July relative to our holiday spending. Uh, as we get ready to go through, and and again the stock up of that of the big box stores to make sure that there's all those good things that we want on the shelves when we want them on the shelves, um, and so the the influx of containers or the overabundance that's going to drive prices down. Mm-hmm. That's the number one factor. Seasonality of demand for those types of things with um, storage for extra you know goods and services you know that. Typically, we swell anyway in the summer, right? Every, in summer months, it's usually you know you have um, more building going on, you know, and again, primarily in northern Northern United States. But you know, lately in the South, we're just talking about the weather in Texas. It's going to go from ninety five down to twelve um, overnight, and so that that'll halt certain things like construction or slow it down, um, and so that'll that'll slow the demand for the containers there as well.
0: And then there's probably another one we should talk about, too, which is obviously there's different container types, whether it's, you know, 20s, 40s, you know, 45s, 48s, 53s, whatever. But then there's reefers. So this seems like a particularly good time of year to bring up that specific one, because I think there's even a little bit of seasonality that comes along with that. So you want to tell our listeners a little bit about reefers and market?
1: So refrigerated containers are, um, they're out for use, you know, they're primarily a marine based product, but we have found a number of customers that use them to service their needs um, nationally. You know, it it typically was kind of a market to market um, type of need in the, you know, in the Houston, in the Texas area, you have a lot of you know, oil and chem companies, Um, obviously there's grocery stores and those types of things, but those are everywhere. But in the Pacific Northwest, you have, um, you know, seafood. Um, There's a lot of cold storage needs surrounding that industry as a whole, food packing, those types of things. That's what our, that's what our depot customers would use them for, right? You know, food packing and making sure that product gets from point A to point B. Um, Right now we're seeing a huge seasonal swell in the need for refrigerated containers at your box stores. Um, your grocery stores—they have to bring in extra product for again that holiday spend that we all do on food. There's a couple of big meals for a lot of families that come up around Thanksgiving and Christmas, and they need to be ready for that. So what they do is they, you know, they call us or another provider and they say, "Hey, can we lease a um, refrigerator container from you?" And they're great for that because usually you only have to get into them once, so you're opening the doors, you're taking out what you need, and you're closing the doors again. They're not blast freezers, right? They're meant to keep product that is either already cold, cold, or already frozen, frozen. And so when you're talking about moving product in and out, you don't want to have those doors open and closing all day long. Mm -hmm. Um, So we do see a big influx uh, around the grocery stores that can manage that amount of time that they're utilizing those containers. Um, They they're relatively inexpensive to lease. They're, you know, if you get the the newer ones that are are meant for domestic lease, um, they're, you know, they have easy open doors, which we call high handle doors. They're kind of at waist height. Um, they have light switches. You know, they're going to have any any number of um, pretty cool, fancy things that we can get and and put out there for you. Or you could just go ahead and lease a standard marine container, which is, you know, it's a box. It's got T floors, and it gets cold.
0: Very good. So before we leave the topic of pricing, um, obviously I misguided you, or know, I misdirected you, or I directed you in another direction, I should say. Um, yeah. But I want to circle back to pricing really quick. Is there anything else that you think our listeners would love to hear about pricing before we move on?
1: You know, right now pricing is kind of on the fall. Um, we talked about availability of units, so I want to, you know, I do want to say that it is a, it's a good time. To, to be looking to purchase containers, um, after the high prices of the pandemic years. There are certain, um, unit sizes and, um, conditions that are available that haven't been available. So you talk about your 40 foot high cube used, Sean, you know, those were the boxes that were all in use. We couldn't find them anywhere for a number of years. They're coming online they're available. Um, also because of that large number of new builds that we saw, there's a huge amount of one-trip containers, which a one-trip container is that box that's made one trip, one you know, sailing from wherever it was built, primarily in China, to the United States with cargo, and then it's off-hired in the United States for uh, domestic use. So they're usually your best condition. They, they're as close to new as you can find um, within the container world, because they've only been used that one time. The other thing I would say right now is there are a lot of people entering the market, and I know this is going to move into questions later mm-hmm. on. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of just preface that with, there's a lot of people entering the market, and I'll wait for the actual question to come here in, in a couple of minutes. <laughs> that is ex- you got to be cognizant of new players.
0: That is uh, exactly where we're going, essentially, which is, you know, as people are looking to lease or buy containers, there's probably certain things they ought to be watching out for. Um, And so I think that's where you're going with that one. So what kind of advice can you give to consumers? What things should they be looking for?
1: Yeah, these days, anybody can join this market. Um, You know, all you need is Facebook Marketplace. And that's a place that we see a lot of, of new people getting into the industry and trying to create their own business, which, you know, we, we support that. You know, we'll sell to those people that are looking to sell boxes again. Um, but what you need to be concerned about is, is who they're buying from or where they're getting their product. The shipping container is, like I said, there's containers available that are 25 years old all the way up to one trip. And if you're not exactly certain of what you're looking to buy or who you're buying from, then you can expect one thing and something else completely different can show up at your door. Mm -hmm. And so what we try to do is we try to set an expectation of if you want to use box, that box could be 25 years old. It could be rusted. It could be dented. It could have challenges with force. We'll make sure it's wind and water tight. We'll make sure that it is what we're selling you but we set that expectation up front that if you're going to buy just a kind of -of run-of-the-mill shipping container that's what you're going to get if you want to be specific then you want to make sure that you're talking to people that can provide you photos of the unit that you're going to get Um, we we don't always do that because we we work with a number of different vendors and, and customers that can provide us a product of a certain type that we're accustomed to um, but we'll be able to provide you a photo of you know similar to or like as equipment. Um, the other things that are going to be out there is there is a there is a organization called the National Portable Storage Association that most resellers and leasers are a part of. Um, if you don't see that banner somewhere, whether that's on a website or in a communication. Um, you know, I, I would urge the consumer to make sure they're getting a price from one of those members. If they're comparable, if they're close, if one's less expensive but very close, then you're probably okay. Um, but if it's very different, you know it. Like if it doesn't feel right, it isn't right. Mm-hmm. It's one of those one of those things, right? Your parents tell you when you're really young. Like if it looks like a goose and it talks like a goose, or you know, <laughs> looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, then it's probably a duck. Uh, we want to make sure that you're following that as well. So um, when you do get your container, a lot of the con- you know, a lot of the providers will allow you to look at it and you know make sure that it is what you've actually purchased uh, before letting the the truck driver drive away on on a dry run. So um, you know. Caution right now with a lot of people entering the market is is really paramount.
0: Are there any particular scams that you've heard of, or any things people should watch out to avoid being scammed? You know, beyond again, kind of checking for those specific things you walked through already.
1: Yeah, I think one of the biggest things happening right now is um, people are selling containers on fraudulent credit cards. This is is big. We actually, in the NPSA event that we just had in Boston, there was a seminar on this, and and we've experienced it as well at Kong Global. People will purchase on a credit card um, a third-party provider, like a broker in the middle of a deal, from us or from another provider. They'll sell it to the consumer at a very discounted price, and then what that'll end up happening is They'll do a chargeback on the card, or or say that that card was charged fraudulently. Maybe maybe it's a stolen credit card in the first place, and so the consumer ends up with their box as they think they should, um, and the broker is in the middle. And then we have the ability to find the box, source it, go look for it. Um, so we we kind of get left holding the hat on that type of a deal. Mm-hmm. So what I would say is. If that price is not consistent with what you've seen from multiple vendors, or close to, near enough, um, then you're probably dealing with somebody that isn't on the up and up, and you're probably going to be purchasing a, a product that would be considered stolen. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's, there's a number of different ways for people to enter this market, and they're all trying to capitalize on the last two years. It's not that same market, um, but there's still people that are trying to enter it.
0: Okay. Thank you. So for listeners out there that want to purchase a shipping container, customize it to a, create a pop-up business or a home, is there a specific advice that's different for them that you'd put out there?
1: You know, the only thing that I would have to say on building a shipping container home is there's not a lot of vendors for it, so be careful in that, um, and the costs are going to be about the same. So if you think that you're going to come into this and you're going to build a shipping container home for, you know, 30, 40% less because it can't, you know, can't possibly cost as much. They're not doing all the work. Mm -hmm. um, The reality is the majority of the price in your home doesn't come from the, uh, you know, the stick build portion of it, right? You've got foundations, you've got permitting, you've got underlay, you've got finishings, right? Everybody likes their finishings. Everybody likes things the way that they like them. And that's, you know, that's going to be, still be there when you build a, a shipping container home. Um, if you like, you know, granite, you're going to pay for granite, whether it's in a shipping container home or in a, a steel or in a stick frame home. Um, time to finish can be a little quicker, um, depending upon who you're working with and the general contractor. But again, all those things that you expect on a traditional build, you still have to expect them with the container sales. Um, and so foundation building, concrete, building of land. Like If you look at it as a 10 step process to build a home, we're taking out one of those 10 steps by providing shipping containers. And it's, um, it's one that depending upon the area that you're in, it might take longer to do that portion of it than a stick build. I mean, we've all seen those houses go up in 75, 80 days. Um, and sometimes that's, depending upon how elaborate the drawings are for an engineer, um, that's how long it can take us sometimes to modify the containers to the right spec and make sure that the, the homes are safe and livable and up to code and all the things that mm-hmm. go along with that. So. Um, if you're really into it and the aesthetics are something that you like on the outs exterior then absolutely go for it I mean it's a fantastic way to build a home if conservation is a piece and you you know you're trying to do your part to recycle a, a used box that would otherwise be somewhere else then by all means absolutely go for it. we're here to help and we have a number of locations that can but don't expect big cost savings don't expect big time savings um, kind of understand that it's it's a replacement of the stick build framing of your home, and you know all the other stuff still applies.
0: That's a really great perspective, Bill. I don't think there's a lot of people out there that uh, probably know that.
1: You know, we get a lot of calls here in the customer engagement center about trying to build a home, and you know sometimes it works, um, a lot of times it doesn't. But you know we're here to help as much as we can. The biggest thing is you still need engineer drawings for whatever home you're going to build. Um, we don't provide those, but we can build them out to those engineer specs you know based on drawings. So um, I, anybody looking to do it, that's that's the place to start. Make sure that you have you know your land and your drawings all taken care of. Um, and then you know, start looking at what you want your home to look like.
0: Yep, I love it. All right, Bill. so I only have one of my prepared questions left for you. So before I get to that, I'm going to ask you if there's anything we didn't cover about container sales and leases today that you wanted to cover with our listeners.
1: You know, I think the only thing that I didn't discuss that I was hoping to get out there is when you're looking to buy, make sure that you are getting the product that is right for you in the area where you are. Mm -hmm. Um, some people have homeowners associations; they don't like the look of a steel box. Um, some people want it painted. Some people want to modify. We can do all that. You want a roll door, personnel door, um, but you know, make sure that you're doing some shopping. You're looking for um, providers that have you know Google history. They have websites, although websites can be scammed these days, but they have um, you know reputable um, reviews. Mm-hmm. Word of mouth is always great. I mean, that's another, that's the easiest way to do it. If there's somewhere that lets you go and and kick and touch and feel the container, that's, you know, that's always nice. Um, We allow that at most of our facilities. Some of them are too busy for that. Um, It's not safe to have consumers walking around the depot all the time. So um, we'll put a couple down, we'll schedule appointments. But, you know, like Los Angeles is just one of those places where we just, we don't have the ability to do that. Um, there's a couple others, but for the most part, we can we can uh, accommodate that. But again, just be cognizant and be aware that there's scamming going on right now, and it's probably more prevalent today than it has been in the history of our you know, our industry.
0: Okay, thank you, Bill. So my yeah. last question for you, that I ask all of my guests, is what does a future-focused terminal mean to you?
1: You know, I took. Um, took a lot of time thinking about that actually, because we could go the IT route, we could go, um, you know, changing of what our terminal operations look like. We can can go a couple of different ways, but for me, I think it's consumer driven. And with the rising costs of everything that we do, anything that is um, going to Lower the costs to the consumers is something that we should probably look at and focus on. So, what are a couple of those things? Right, we have um, automatic gates, we have inventory controls which control slippage, um, we have reservation systems starting up. You know, the, the pandemic kind of added all of this stuff to the table for us to try in our industry. Um, anything that can be more efficient for truck drivers and fuel. Next best move type options. You know, those are to me future focus because costs are going to continue to rise: cost of product, cost of fuel, cost of labor, all of that. So all of that just gets passed on to the consumers. And anything that we can do to lessen that in the supply chain, I think it's it's important for us to focus on that.
0: Okay, good answer. Thank you, Bill. All right. With that, I really enjoyed our time together today. And to all our listeners, thank you for joining us. I hope you'll follow the Future Focus Terminal podcast in your favorite app so you'll never miss an episode. Until next time, take care.